a reading from the Gospel of Matthew, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So turning now to our gospel story, not quite our gospel story, but to a drive, an errand I was running in San Luis this week, when the car in front of me caught my attention, it had more than the average number of bumper stickers on it. I don't know what the average number is, but this was more. And I was directly behind it at the stoplight, so I couldn't help but read them, and they said things like, proud mother of an EMT, teacher's wife, beach girl, and my personal favorite, I heart my pastor. <laughs> the sweetness of the whole display made me smile, and as we continued in our different directions, I kept thinking about that trunk load of bumper stickers because there was something about it that seemed a little different. See, a lot of bumper stickers say something about our beliefs or our ideology or our partisan affiliations. From political campaign stickers all the way to the coexist, right, with all the religious symbols, to my mother's singular sticker, which simply says, clergy. <laughs> I know, it's a true clergy mobile. I don't know how many miles, she, like gas mileage she uses every year. She opened her trunk, it's just full of theology books. Like, I can't, anyway, a true, a true pastor mobile. So I anecdotally feel like with most bumper stickers, it's our ideas and our convictions, you know, the things that we believe, or the th even the people we believe in, even if we don't know them personally, but just as simples, that seems to be what's on display in bumper stickers. Being a culture where our ideas are increasingly enmeshed in our sense of self, that would make sense. Our bumper stickers are going to reflect that. But this Lexus NX in San Luis Obispo said something different to the world. Instead of I am what I believe, the driver has something a lot closer to the truth, I am my relationships. In this case, mother, wife, church, family, even devotion to creation, if we think about that beach girl's declaration. And not only is she showing the world her relationships, but also that those relationships are defined by human service, generosity, selflessness, teaching, tending to people in medical crisis, spiritual life. Everything on that car spoke to love, service, 
and concrete, not theoretical, but concrete, lived and fleshed relationship. It seemed to me the perfect Advent vehicle. That was my thought behind her on the road. From generation to generation, our devotional theme for the days leading to Christmas this year. It's a reminder that what matters is, in fact, the relationships, the people in our lives, the sacrifice and the service that we pour out on those that we care about and sometimes even that we don't care about, the sacrifice and service that we appreciate and those who gave to us. Jesus' origin story is its own kind of declaration of devotion to family, family story, family origin, heritage, sacrifice, spiritual intervention. Just like that Advent Lexus, the story of Jesus does not begin with a set of rules for us to follow or a doctrine for us to recite outlining what we must believe if we want to be part of God's family. Jesus does not arrive into the world with a bunch of slogans and speeches to give. I mean, he certainly does that in his second and third act on, the, on this earth, but not in his first. Because first he says nothing. He's just a human being in need of warmth and provision and love. The story also begins with the relationship of his mother and father. And what we remember, that's what we remember every time we shift those figurines forward, as the boys did this morning, our nativity with Mary and Joseph and the donkey from window to window. We are remembering their unique and special relationship. And not just them, but their economic, social, and psychological struggles to bring this baby into the world because it was indeed very hard work. None of that is about doctrine. It's about family and trust and courage. It's also about culture and prophecy, but it's still not the rules or what to think or even how to behave. If anything, it's about rule-breaking in the surprising ways that God keeps promises for us and to us. I say all this, lifting up the gift of family, knowing, as well as I do, that not all families can act with devotion and courage and love. Family might be the source of our strength and resilience, but it can also be the source of our greatest pains and challenges. I'm realistic about this. Being with family, not always easy, is it? It is not. We can very quickly lapse into our old patterns. We can unconsciously work out our grievances, our buttons get pushed. We can be reactive. I see some of you looking at each other sideways. Or we can struggle to see each other accurately when we are locked into our roles and our birth orders and relational boxes. This used to happen a lot in my 20s, right? I don't know if some of you remember your 20s was like this, right? You would grow and change a lot when you weren't with your family, and you come back to see your family, and they're still looking at you like you're 15, right? That happens a lot. Perhaps we feel these struggles most acutely as a collective society. Oh, I forgot to add, and when they treat you like that, you act like you're 15 as well. I forgot the second half of that, sorry. <laughs> right? When we feel these struggles, we feel them most acutely as a collective society during the holiday season because so many of us spend time with extended family during this month, and all that can come to the fore. And to make it more complicated, it's a season of expectations and pressure to fulfill so very many needs. All the while we're preparing and getting ready and coping, many of us are revisiting our origin and our origin stories, and some of that is beautiful and creates continuity. Some of it is crazy-making and full of anxiety and withdrawal and old wounds. 
The Advent devotional that we offered this season online poses an interesting question for us as people of faith who are also people in families and people even more broadly in community like church family. We are asked of the we ask of the Bible characters, what does each ancestor in the story pass on or contribute to the next generation? So let's just think about that now in terms of Joseph, who was a father to an adopted son. What did he pass on to Jesus? Think for yourselves. What did he pass on? Passed on loyalty? Passed on courage? Passed on doing the right thing, even when it's hard, although I think that's pretty similar to courage. Passes on protection, a name, later a vocation. Maybe he passes on the ability to dream dreams, to speak with God through images and imagination, to have night visions that aren't available in the light of day. On the shadow side, because we do pass on shadows too, might we ask, was he able to pass on full affection and warmth to Jesus? How did he feel about raising a child others would have seen as illegitimate? Was he able to pass on unconditional acceptance of this miraculous child that was not in his bloodline? Hmm, was he a harsh disciplinarian? Or was he passive aggressive? Did he hide his feelings? Did he work too much? Was he a drinker? I don't ask all this to be blasphemous. I ask this because he was human and the story doesn't tell us what kind of father he was as Jesus grew, but might we assume the same family dynamics that we have known, the best and the worst of being in relationship with those we love might have been a feature of Jesus' earthly life as well. What did each ancestor pass on? The question of our season, it's an instructive question to break open in our biblical wisdom, but maybe all the more can we ask that of ourselves. What has each of us passed on to the people we've been given to love? Maybe that's our children, or maybe it's others in our circle of care. What are those gifts? What are those pains? And just what do our legacies look like? Ian and I talk a lot about this as parents, the psychological and emotional inheritance we have given and continue to give. It's a pretty loaded question. Already, and I proved this with my daughter this morning, Already, we see in our kids some of the best parts of our family living on in their passion and their engagement with life. And already, we see some of the mistakes we've made coming out. Perfectionism, anxiety, control, frustration. We have our own little list, just like you have your own little list with your little people, too. We can beat ourselves up for the daily mistakes we make in love and in family. And that's what good, caring parents and people do. We have regrets when things don't go as intended or when we hurt someone. We feel bad about it, as we should. But here's the grace that Ian and I have for ourselves, and I'm holding it up for you today as one possible encouragement that you can bring into your own life. When we are hard on ourselves, we pull back and we look at the family tree and all the stories that don't always get told. And if your family is anything like our families, you don't have to go digging too far back to find things like trauma from war, the pain of deep poverty, addiction, abuse, abandonment, 
premature death, the stories are all there right along with the good stuff that came to us too. And so Ian and I remind ourselves that our job is not to be perfect parents. Maybe it's just to be a little bit better than the generations before. (laughs) We're not going to get it right all the time. But if we just do our part in stopping some of those cycles, just throwing one little stick in the spoke of the wheel of family suffering, well, then it will be up to Autumn and Jacob to do the next part. And then it will be up to their children to carry on the next bit of healing in our legacy. And I say this, again, as grace for you all. In this season of sometimes difficult family gatherings, in this season when we can be hard on ourselves with our regrets or feel the pressure of what has been left undone, consider the possibility that maybe you have done enough already. Maybe you can lay the work down knowing you've done your best and let the the younger ones take their turn. And I think it was Monica who said in her first sermon on Advent, we look back to discover where we are going, and that is my answer to where we are going. Ian and I are just not going that far, just a little bit more, not to perfection, but just to a place where it's a little bit better. And then we're going to rest in the assurance that we have done enough for now. We're going to rest in the grace of God and welcome this baby into that peace. I was reminded a few weeks ago, my mom sent me a forward, and she's not one of these forward all the time people, but she sent me a forward about Jesus and family relationships, and I can safely say, as I say, she doesn't do this often, so I always read them when she does send them. And she put in the subject line, you have to read this. (laughs) So I'm going to share it with you now because it just tickles me so much. And it starts out light enough, but by the end it goes kind of serious. And so here it is, Kevin Young, pastor, theologian, church historian. He says, this is how Jesus was with his family. Number one, pretend you don't know them. He said, Mark, right, the Jesus mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word to him to come out and talk with him. And Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who is my brothers, right? Just pretend you don't know. Number two, hide and spend time with other people. And that he looks to uh, Luke 2, right? When, when they went back after, when they went back after the celebration and Jesus stayed behind in the temple, right? Number three, arrive late, no matter the consequences, Remembering the story of John 11, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Come, Lazarus is suffering and Jesus waits two more days. Number four, don't tell anyone where you're staying. Number five, when you need a break, say, I'm going to pray now. Number six, I love this one. When all else fails, good meals heal. And that happens a lot in scripture. Things are put back together through food. And I think it was in Bible study uh, when we were watching a, a presentation and the presenter said that it should be that things get put, to, to put back together through food because they first fell apart through food. Remember Adam and Eve eating their fruit. Number seven, set good boundaries. This is an important one. When you feel guilty for being different from what your parents or your family want you to be, got this young people, don't feel guilty. When you feel guilty for doing things differently and living your life in a different way than what your parents or family want, do not. And then this is a beautiful one for a bunch of caretakers and lovers like you all, people who you all feel such immense pressure to take care of your family. Number eight, Don't be afraid to surrender them into someone else's care. 
And here we're remembering Jesus' last words on the cross when he looked at his mother and he said, woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple beside him, here is your mother. It's okay to not take care of everyone all the time and let someone else and God do that for us. How many of us are feeling that? Yeah. He said, this writer said, and after he posted this, there was one more comment that came up. And uh, the person said, hey, pastor, you forgot to say take a nap during stressful situations. <laughs> I don't know if any of you have relatives like this where you suddenly look around and they're missing and you'll find them asleep somewhere. <laughs> we have a few relatives like that. So in the storm on the boat when Jesus took his nap, in a few minutes we're going to go be a family and we're going to celebrate Santa Lucia like our forebears before us did. And we're going to do that in deep peace and trusting that we have done enough and we have done our part for the Lord. And then we can go home and we can take some naps. Amen. We have a simple but beautiful, one of my favorite Advent tunes, He Came Down. If you want to turn to that and please rise as you're able.